The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to In Discussion. Today I have Pat O'Brien, a veteran investigative journalist from Florida, and Joe Mason, a chemist. And we're going to be talking about the BP oil spill today, a rather serious situation, to take a look at this uh, issue uh, with some uh, definition and detail. Uh, Joe Mason, Pat O'Brien, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good afternoon, David. This is Pat. It's good to be with you again. And you, Pat. Um, let's uh, throw ourselves straight into this. We do have Bruce Piasaki uh, joining us later in the program from New York. Meanwhile, can I start off, uh, Joe, by asking you, uh, we are looking at this uh, product that they are currently using for the Deepwater Horizon disaster, the uh, Mikado 252 disaster in the Gulf. Um, we are concerned about the Corexit material I wondered, uh, given your background, uh, if you could give us some information on this this chemical, please. Uh, I'm particularly concerned about the butyl cellosol in this program, David, uh, in this product. Um, that has been a suspected carcinogen for at least 15 years. It's absorbed through the skin and through the lungs and goes directly to the internal organs, such as the liver. Um, we as chemists have been formulating this product out of consumer products for the last 15, 20 years. And to see it in this Corexit product in the amount it's in, I'm, I'm very appalled by this. Now, what are the implications for the different categories that we're looking at here, not only for food crops, for the, um, the, the fishing industry, for the fish in, in that area, but also, more importantly, on human beings? What could uh, we gain from... Uh, talking about this product and the implication for those three categories? Well, number one, I think the workers are at risk. The people directly handling this, breathing it, and the quantities they are putting this out, I mean, it, it's a very, very hazardous chemical. As I said, uh, they can, uh, it can be absorbed through the lungs by breathing the vapors. And, you know, we're in a very warm area, um, and they're, as they put this product out, a lot of it will vaporize. Uh, any of it that gets on their skin can be absorbed directly through the skin. And uh, it has been linked to cancer uh, of various internal organs through the years. Now, what are the implications of the tornado, uh, not tornado, hurricane system uh, coming up here? We know that it's going to be probably a, a bad season for us. I think that we're looking at systems beginning now off the African coast. 
What is the implications of that, Joe? How can that spread this even further, possibly even inland uh, to states like Louisiana and Florida? Oh, if we have a major hurricane like Katrina and this chemical is driven ashore, I mean, think of the, the thousands and millions of people that are going to be exposed to it. Uh, this could have some very deep and long-lasting implications, not just for the, for the time being. Uh, I, think, I think this is very irresponsible for having this much butyl cellosol in a product being put in the oceans in the quantities being put in. Now, is there an economic factor behind this, Joe, as to why they're using this material? Is it cheaper than other materials, or is it just the, the material that is readily available at this stage, or what is your thoughts on that? Well, David, it's really old school. Butyl cellosol used to be in almost every cleaner degreasers on the marketplace. And the butyl cellosol's job is, is a coupling agent. One end of the butyl cellosol actually goes into water. The other end goes into the oil, and it couples it together. That was the theory. Um, it was probably the best of its time, but also it was the most dangerous of its time. And... I haven't formulated a product with butyl cellosol in it for at least 12 or 15 years. Now, there is an after effect, is there? Now, I take it that this material will dissolve the oil in the principal phase. But it doesn't there, really the... dissolve it. That's the problem. It's used as a coupling agent, and it's not really... It may help in the dispersion of the oil, but it's not really an efficient process. There are much more efficient processes called emulsification that could be used and would actually take the oil into microscopic particles into water so there would be uh, just a tremendous surface area for bacteria to attack. If, if you were comparing the oil itself against this Corexit material, which would be the most intensive, which would be the worst um, that you could look at in, in, in terms of the aftermath, though? I mean, would it be better to have the oil and not have this material chemical used at all? Well, I think it'd be better not to have either one, obviously. <laughs> but that's not that's not in the realm of possibility right now. Uh, we've got the oil. Uh, the oil is worse than the butyl cellosol, in my opinion. But I think there are far better and safer ways to go about emulsifying this oil without using something like butyl cellosol. Uh, you can, we have solventless systems, uh, no solvents, no flashpoints, biodegradable systems, non-toxic uh, non-skin irritation. We have systems like that that could be used with absolutely no harm to human beings and almost zero harm to any animals that would come into contact with. Uh, Pat O'Brien, you're joining us from Florida today. Uh, as an investigative reporter, could you uh, let us know what the current situation is down there, uh, how people are feeling about this, what the, the fear level is? Well, you know, the, of course, the eye is already in the panhandle that it's coming ashore. And uh, matter of fact, President Obama is uh, coming into uh, the state of Florida with three different stops uh, to try to uh, take a look at the situation. Um, the, you know, I am dealing because of what I know and what I have learned in my investigation. I'm dealing with many local uh, radio, TV, and newspapers in the state of Florida. There is still that sense in the media, and this is where the problem is in my mind, in the media, well, we already covered that corrected product thing uh, 
uh, a while back. So, you know, we're looking at other things. It's not like there's a, a, a panic here. There is on the coastlines a fisherman exit. Are we okay there? Um, there is a problem on the coastlines where the fishermen exist. Uh, they know that there's jeopardy. Where the clam farms are, they know there's jeopardy there. Um, many people have put two and two together that this is an extremely toxic product that's being used. Uh, the more our investigation goes into this thing and find out that it was the same product used at the Exxon Valdez spill, and that area still hasn't recovered, that it's been used off the coast of Australia, and then they're extremely concerned. Uh, but it's not being used in, in the U.K. It out, is outlawed there. In 1998, they first outlawed it, and then they banned it again in 2010 when they reviewed the product. And they are using it here, but they won't use it in the U.K., and, and that becomes my big question. Obviously, the the CEO of BP uh, knows that it couldn't be used there. So why is he using it on us? And, at that uh, uh, at, at that stage, what I'd like to do is bring uh, Bruce Piasecki uh, on the line. Bruce, are you with us today? I am, David. Bruce, how are you today, sir? Very good. It is so nice to have you back on the program again, uh, Bruce. I have uh, Joe Mason uh, from Florida, a uh, graduate chemist, and Pat O'Brien. Uh, veteran investigative reporter we're talking about the conditions uh, in the gulf uh, what are your feelings of this catastrophe at this stage bruce from from where you are well i, I should mention i'm i'm not a scientist like joe nor an investigative you know um, researcher like pat i'm a social historian but my feelings are um, deeply disturbed by the magnitude of, of the issue and, and how ill-prepared um, both governments and coastal people and BP appears to be in this. So I'm glad you're doing the show, David, and hopefully my contribution, you know, as you guys talk, will have to do with the social consequences of, of the disaster. The essence of the program, Bruce, is that we're talking about a chemical here called Corexit, uh, which is a very powerful chemical that has um, great implications on uh, sea life. Uh, it has great implications on, on human life as well as crops in land. And it's um, being used in huge quantities. And there are great concerns as to the validity or the integrity of that product. Um, so this is, uh, this is a concern that we have today. Yes. And the show will be another half hour long? It will uh, go another 30 minutes. Okay. Well, no, Joe, I, I think I heard your comment that it's a paradox that it's not allowed in U.K., and it has been, there's some record of its uh, consequences in Valdez, correct? Yes, this is Pat. And, uh, in fact, it was used in the Exxon Valdez bill. Matter of fact, uh, BP and Exxon employees got together to form the Nelco Corporation. Uh, it is now a holding of a NALCO um, holding. Uh, gotcha. But NALCO is the prime maker of this product. Uh, there was, uh, we can draw the direct solid lines between BP and the NALCO Corporation. 
Uh, we can also look at the EPA's list of approved products and find that the correction product that's being used is the fourth toxic product that is on the EPA's approved list. They have approximately 14 listed there. And as you go down the list, um, this is at the top of one of the most toxic products that can be used as a dispersant. Mm. And given that, uh, when you take that information, you connect the dots between EPA, BP, and um, the Nelco company, and then you also take a look at that it's banned in the U.K. for use, knowing that uh, British Petroleum is uh, the headquarters in the U.K., you wonder why... Um, you wonder why BP is using this, BP America is using this product when they won't use it in their own backyard. And that's the story that's not getting made in the main press. May I, uh, may I ask the question to all of you gentlemen? Do we think that the government is doing enough at this stage? We saw um, the Katrina uh, as, a, as an example here that wasn't terribly well handled. Um, Bruce, I mean, perhaps a question for you. Uh, do you think that this is uh, repeating itself again? Do you think that there is no enough being done here? Well, that's why I was interested in asking Pat or Joe if there is a different opinion by the Obama administration from its own EPA. Pat, has the White House come out with a position on the corrective action? Well, I'll tell you, I just talked to Senator Nelson's office uh, just moments before our air. I talked to uh, the same people that on Thursday's show, if you go back in the archives, we did, where I said Senator Nelson was not doing enough to be able to protect the state of Florida. I happen to live in the state of Florida. And I've offered him an opportunity again to come on our programs that we will have this week on the subject. <clears throat> Senator Nelson just put out a release that, in fact, uh, that he got out of um, intelligence information. I also have a hold of the article that was done in Russia uh, that tells that the main problem that happened when the uh, Deepwater Horizon rig blew was that there became a crater that we're only seeing a small portion of the oil that is coming to the Gulf on television when we look at it. Uh, it, it. That spill has cracked a hole in the Titanic plate that is uh, some six miles wide. Wow. We have about five to six times the amount of oil going into the Gulf as we originally thought. Let me, ask, that, um, let, let me just ask uh, Joe Mason a question here, Pat, if I may. Joe, uh, given the amount of oil that's in the Gulf now, which must be huge, are the chemicals that they're using going to be effective, long-lasting, and indeed, uh, is there going to be enough quantity of this chemical to take care of this? It's not doing it, uh, David. It's just what they're doing is futile. Uh, they're trying to disperse the oil, and it's, the products they're using aren't very good dispersants. Uh, there are much, much better products called emulsifiers on the marketplace that will actually... Uh, if Mother Nature has a great emulsion called milk. If you look, that's fat particles in microscopic size in water. That's why we have some chemicals. Uh, my company, Industco Limited, actually makes chemicals that do the very same thing. 
Um, we make a sewer chemical that takes lard, congealed lard in sewers, and actually turns it into a microscopic emulsion. We have another product called Perfect Solution that would be the perfect solution for the Gulf. Uh, it, we've actually tested it on the crude from the Gulf, and it takes the oil and breaks it into microscopic particles, goes completely throughout the water, and it, the bacteria will take care of this eventually, uh, given enough surface area. But the way that it is right now, it's like trying to eat a bowling ball. And what we do is break it down so it's like eating a bunch of grapes for the bacteria. Mm -hmm. The surface area is such that they can attack it readily and get rid of it much, much quicker. I think what they're doing right now is not going to work. We're dumping dangerous chemicals on top of dangerous oil. Uh, Joe, Joe, can I ask a, a interject a question here? Because you and I had talked previously to the program. Um, the the problem that that we're seeing is they're trying to disperse it rather than eliminate it, and therefore, um, and also we're looking at plumes that have already now been reported to be over 3,500 um, feet deep. For example, a product like yours. Um, the my understanding is to be able to create a emulsifying product, you need like Dawn detergent, which is a surfactant, in order to make your product. Am I correct? Uh, Pat, it usually takes a, a series of, of raw materials that come together and and work to to disperse that oil. You're not going to get one or two surfactants to do it. And one of Correct. the big problems was we were, we were sending down like straight 100% NP10, that type thing. And what is the availability, Joe, if I may interrupt you, and, and what is the availability of the base product that you need in order to make a safe, eco-friendly product? What's your availability of surfactant now? Right now, that's on short supply. Is this fat? Yeah. And, and why is it in short supply, Joe? Everything's going. Almost all surfactants are heading to the Gulf right now. Uh, we, we, uh, we as a company have been put on limited amounts of surfactant because everything that everybody can manufacture is going straight to the Gulf. Let me interject here, Bruce, if I may ask sure. you, sir. Bruce, what are the wider social implications of this? If the oil cannot be contained, and it does look as if they're not going to be able to stop this. What are the implications for the economy and in social terms in, in that quadrant of the U.S.? Yeah, and I think it's great, David, that you're having Joe and Pat debate this as the state of the art. I, I think what, what this BP oil disaster will do is it's going to worsen some of the social tensions in the world right now in, in new ways, and I think what I've learned from Joe and Pat so far is that the scale of the emergency response is way underestimated by BP and by the federal stakeholders. And so I actually see this as worsening the tension between scientists and, and humanists, that it's worsening the tension between the advocates for sustainable power and you know, the strong stage of the corporate apologists saying we need more oil. And so my concern when I look at the need for big oil, and, and but also the regional economic impact on the Gulf of Mexico, is I'm concerned that, you know, the hotel occupancy rates down there, in which so much of the flora economy that, that Joe knows about and Pat knows about, 
is based on tourism and, and people walking clean beaches and people enjoying the Florida sun. And so I've begun to think of this issue as far more significant than when Shell and its partners experienced Brent Spar in the North Sea or when uh, we experienced Exxon Valdez um, because of the magnitude of how ill-prepared we seem to be. Can, can you put that in historic perspective, Joe or Pat? Why? Um, clearly, can, Brent Spar, Shell, and, and Valdez, you know, hurt Exxon, but not to the degree in which we're experiencing this issue. Oh, no, we're looking at, uh, right now, ten times more the Exxon Valdez spill right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, still, uh, that area is still, uh, no, there's no fish in the area. Uh, that's what that uh, product did, the correct product. Uh, the fishermen, the suicides in Alaska, for example, in that area, suicides went up, alcoholism went up, uh, spousal abuse, abuse went up. Um, I mean, it, it is just absolutely decimated that area of Alaska. I'd like to also say that the the uh, I was watching over the weekend um, Fox News and the Huckabee Report. Matter of fact, I have a meeting with Mike Huckabee uh, this coming Thursday. We're trying to get to him uh, so that possibly we can uh, have him on the program. On the Huckabee Report on Fox this weekend, he had 13 different people that have different methods to clean up that oil spill, including the toxins that are out there. Um, some of them did, some of them didn't. But there were, there were uh, 13 different ones that were shown. They took the oil and put it in a little glass container, and they, some was hair, for example, hair that's on a barbershop floor. Um, it just it needs to be put into a mat that a guy has a patent on, and it will soak up the oil and the toxic product, uh, and all you have to do is wring it out. It can be used 200 times, and you can collect 70% of the oil. There's another product that's used that actually clumps it up, and while it's clumping it up, it detoxifies the product. Uh, this is one product after another product after another product. According to Mike Huckabee, he had a 1,000 people that they his staff interviewed, and they only used... 13 of those thousands that have solutions right here in America to solve this issue. Let me now, just, uh, let me just, may I just interrupt there, Pat? Sure. Uh, Bruce, looking at corporate structure, looking at big business, um, what do you think that this is going to do for BP? What do you think that this is going to do for that that whole industry now? This has got to be a turning point for them to look at themselves now as well as government in order to rectify this situation extremely quickly. Absolutely. You know, if you, if you look at the big, impactful oil companies, they, they used to refer to them as the Seven Sisters, but, you know, Exxon bought Mobile, and then BP bought Amoco. There, there aren't um, many of the magnitude of a BP. You know, BP is beyond $300 billion. And so I think the first immediate consequence from a corporate strategy point of view, it's going to change the nature of corporate governance, because there clearly should be somebody, when, when BP experienced operations and maintenance problems in the Alaska pipeline, or when BP unfortunately experienced in the last five years the Texas City fatality, 
in which uh, um, more than seven contractors were killed. I think those were classic issues in which the damage was damage of asset integrity. In other words, they weren't maintaining a pipeline correctly and it had minimum impact. They weren't maintaining a refinery correctly. Uh, But this this is, um, like Pat and others are saying, is an example in which um, not maintaining um, the emergency response capability, not having proper governance of the issue, is leading to the selection of solutions that are incomplete and leading to a response that doesn't deal with the magnitude of the problem. So I think the first consequence of three would be that it's going to change the nature of corporate governance. Um, there, There probably will be on boards now a person that will be asking the question, uh, do we have enough emergency capacity in, in terms of surfactants, in terms of uh, weather control, in terms of um, responding? There was, as Pat probably knows, um, some inadequacies up there in Valdez, but this is even larger in the proportions. And so when I read about it in the Washington Post or when I read about it on the web, it seems as if some of the legacy of this has to do with the political tightness between the firms that have been given access to respond to the emergency. Pat, is that the nature of your work right now, is showing a kind of complicity of approach between some of these entities? Well, I'm going I'm to give you one right now. Um, CEO of BP, Tony Hayward, he's the British voice that's on the news apologizing for um, the company and how hard they want us to help uh, and that how they have so many employees here, and oh my God, he's also the same guy, by the way, that said, I'll be glad when this thing is all over so I can get my life back. Tony Hayward, who is meeting with the President of the United States as we speak, um, sold off his stock six weeks prior. 33% of his stock was sold prior to the explosion that night. Now, another gentleman, um, if we can get into this very quickly, um, the um, another major player in this whole thing, uh, Goldman Sachs. As you know, Goldman Sachs is very much into, they own uh, a lot of stock. They sold off 42% of their stocks six weeks out prior to the explosion. Now, what most people don't know, and this is something that we found. This is 42%, Pat, of their BP stock or of all their big oil of, stock? Of their BP stock. Interesting. BP-only stock. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then if you go into it, uh, as you can confirm, a fellow named Peter Sutherland, up until just recently, was also chairman of the board of uh, BP. Guess what? He is also chairman of the board of Goldman Sachs International. Now, let's see. Goldman Sachs, BP, sell their stock short so that Tony Hayward can pay off his home in Kent and be able to um, uh, get his family, of course, set up for what we know will happen uh, eventually when the charges come down and the story comes out. He's going to spend some time in the pokey. So he's got his family covered. And now, Bruce, in addition to that, um, Goldman Sachs, who we have long heard 
has been involved with the breaking down of the economy. And you can explain more than I can about Goldman Sachs in the role of the world economy. Mm-hmm. But no, I, think it's, uh, I think we really do need to start investigating the, the nature of anyone who had an alert to the possibility of this problem six or eight weeks uh, before the event. I mean, that is an example of uh, the possibility that people knew it was under-financed or under-maintained or, or that the contractors uh, working the issue um, didn't have enough resources. So, you know, one of the things that... One other quick question. One other yeah. quick question I would have is uh, Halliburton was the one that put the cap on supposed cap. It has also been reported that that cement cap that they put down there was a poor grade of cement. So we've got Halliburton in it. And by the way, Dick Cheney, I know for a fact, is handling the press operations, the overall press spin on this for Halliburton, BP, Transocean, and Melco. If you have, the man if, in charge. If you have, if you have these problems... Uh, how is it uh, let me start with you Bruce if I may what is it that we immediately need to do now to stop this chemical being used to stop the oil it, it, it is probably a given that this oil is untappable that they're not going to be able to take care of it what, uh, what is our responsibility as far as Florida and Louisiana are concerned in the immediate term well I would, I would think that um when Obama said that he would fire Haywood, that sent up in my way of thinking that there's some kind of red flag, some kind of battle occurring that the press and we are not really privy to between the disagreements over this substance. So the, the, the kinds of things that, that Pat and the chemists are bringing up are examples of what the government, the federal government, should be and may have brought up. So. I would say that the first issue is um, what are the options other than the current chemical being used, and are there experimental beds where people are attacking it with other answers besides the chemical of today's topic? Are there other chemicals assembled in the ar- artillery of response? Um, well, this would be a question for Joe Mason. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, let me give you one quick one one quick uh, example. Alabaster. I'm dealing with a CEO. His name is John Sheffield of Alabaster. He and his dad own the company. They're out of the uh, Houston area. BP bought a hundred thousand gallons of their product um, right after the spill. They literally stole his formula and did not use his product claimed that it needed more investigation by the EPA before it could be used, and it's sitting in a warehouse right now. That product is an eco-friendly product. And Joe Joe, Joe Mason, are you still with us? Oh, yes, I'm still here. Sorry, Pat, let me just interrupt there, if I may. Um, Joe, uh, Joe Mason, if you do not have the chemical at hand, you don't have the stocks, and I think that Pat is saying the same, that, that BP basically holds all of these stocks so that corrects it is the only chemical to be used. How, how do we overcome that situation? I think the only way that situation can be overcome is through the government. 
Yeah. Um, I think basically BP has come in and cornered this market. Uh, there's a lot of nepotism here. You know, they, they create a spill, and then they have the company that's treating the spill. I mean, they're making, even though they're losing money on the spill, they're making money on the treatment. I hey, mean, Joe I Mason. can't tell you the amount of dollars that's coming into Nalco right now. Um, I heard the figures, 100,000 gallons a day of the correction was going, was going out for this treatment. I mean, Joe this Mason, is a tremendous you, profit center for them right now. Joe, if I asked you the question right now, uh, Joe, I'll tell you what I'd like you to do. I know you've got a product that can solve this solution, okay? And I'm now VP, right? If I were to call you and say, Joe, I know what your price is on the market, would you do me a favor and charge me six times the cost of that product and we'll split the difference? Would you consider doing that? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I, think that's, uh, I think that's a reason to go to jail. And I just well, don't look yeah, good in an orange jumpsuit. But, but if you were, if we were buddy buddies, and I'm going like, hey, Joe, charge me triple for the product, okay? Because here's a fact that was that I saw on the news, <clears throat> that in fact BP Corporation is making nine million dollars a day on this deal, making nine million dollars a day. This is a fact that I have verified also. Now, how could they be making nine million dollars a day unless their supplier? was selling the product for more than the product was worth. How could they do that? <laughs> Haven't you pretty well answered your own question, Pat? That's right. Let me uh, let me interject here. We have six minutes left. Uh, let me start with Bruce Piasecki. Bruce, uh, could you um, uh, give, uh, give us sure. your final thoughts on this and where yeah. we should immediately go because we're all solution-led here? If, uh, it, it appears to me that if we do not do something very quickly that this part of America and possibly the whole economy could be taken down by this very issue. It seems to me that um, I want to tell a story about my experience at BP. Six years ago when I was writing my book, World Inc., about a dozen leaders of BP invited me to visit their headquarters. And, you know, the first impression you get going in and around London at their headquarters is that they had a very rigorous and explicit set of rules about personal and public safety when you were within the confines of their headquarters and their business. But the reason they asked me over is they were asking what happens to an oil giant when it reaches $300 billion in revenue, uh, because I had written about how Walmart and Shell and ExxonMobil had become essentially larger public targets when they reached that threshold of dollars. Now, the good news on this is that the court of public opinion may be working better and faster than the legal courts or the courts of the marketplace. And I think what we're seeing in the show is that the public scrutiny of the issue is of a greater magnitude and a greater intensity that's pushing for faster responses than a regulatory one. So I think it's appropriate for a president like Obama to look at the Gulf. It's appropriate for the senator that Pat is putting pressure on to look at it and say, how do we respond faster than we're allowed to respond? Because of it's obvious that the emergency response cap capability was inadequate. And, and that there might, in fact, be issues um, like those discussed that need legal resolution because there might have been improper responses or improper technical choices. But, you know, I think we can see in retrospect that the whole world um, of oil, 
the, the whole issue of the petrochemical treadmill is at stake here. And the questions, I think, of immediate response by citizens should be, is there some way we can address this issue by asking the question, what is enough oil? I mean, when the world is at the point where it needs to dig a mile to find oil, um, then we have to ask the question um, that, that have been asked by people like Dick Cheney, do we have to fight for it in the Middle East? So from a social historian point of view, I think this single BP oil disaster is creating the question of what is enough. And, and can the media and can citizens and can new strategic friends begin to address? So I, I want to go on record, David, as saying I have no expertise in chemistry or public affairs or, you know, I study the impact of these growing companies and the size they have, and that's why my book is called World Inc., because, you know, for the first time in human history, the 300 largest corporations in the world are larger than governments. And I, I think that your listeners would appreciate the fact that we're all struggling to respond to this in, in a way in which senators and presidents apparently can't. That, that's pretty much what I can say. Pat O'Brien, in the last minutes, uh, uh, what are the expectations in your neck of the woods down there? What, what are people expecting now over the next three or four weeks? I really want to, I want to have that developed on our next couple of shows because I don't really want to cause panic with what I already know. But I do want to say this, that unless they stop using the corrective product, we're going to be looking at acid rain coming over Florida. We're already getting it. We're getting oil droplets of chemicals coming down on us when it rains in Florida. That's the same with all of the Gulf Coast. I want to also say that we need leadership in our government, and we need the Tea Party movement. We will have a guest on uh, in coming shows. I ask people to listen to it get and get the word out. to watch, Listen to David Gibbons if you want to hear it first. Um, listen here every day at, at 6 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, uh, or 3 p.m. Pacific every day, because we will give you the facts before the media can. The media, which I got out of because I knew it was being controlled by corporate interests, and I'm sure Bruce can um, verify that, uh, the media is slow to tell the truth because of FCC violations and licenses. But we're not. We're going to tell the facts as we learn them, and we're going to put pressure on our government to be able to stop this corrective poison and to be able to have other alternative methods that are ready to go in warehouses in the United States. Just go and get your congressman, get your local television station, keep asking the question, why are they using a poison in our Gulf? that isn't used in the U.K. And, uh, <laughs> Until we get it stopped. And let me ask you, Joe, finally, what are your intentions here, sir? How are you going to try to uh, utilize better better chemicals here? David, I, I think it's unconscionable. They don't have a, they never had a contingency plan. They're drilling for oil in the ocean. Now we've got the fox guarding the hen house. Uh, they're using their own sister company's chemicals. Uh, we have representatives in Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, and Florida. We're trying every possible way to get our, our, our product tested, to show them a better way. We're going to continue trying. I mean, it, it, we're, we're being stonewalled at every point now, but we're not going to give up. I feel like I, have, I can provide something of an answer, and 
I'm not going to give up until I'm hurt. Bruce Piersecki, Joe Mason, Pat O'Brien, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a good discussion. I appreciate your time. Thank Thank you, David. Thank you. And to our listeners, I hope that you have enjoyed this as much as I have. Uh, We have a great responsibility here to um, take action on this, and I hope that anybody in that area is taking good care of themselves and educating themselves so that they can prepare for any eventuality or circumstances that may arise in the coming weeks. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management